When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Red or Dead is sponsored by Read Harder 2021. Book Riot's annual reading challenge is back. Once again, Read Harder 2021 has 24 tasks designed to help you break out of your reading bubble and expand your worldview through books. With new genres, new authors, and new points of view, the challenge will hopefully help you discover amazing books you wouldn't have otherwise picked up. Read a romance by trans or non-binary authors, non-European books in translation, middle-grade mysteries, and more in this year's challenge. Go to bookriot.com slash readharder to get the full challenge task list and to check out the prizes for those who complete the challenge. That's bookriot.com slash readharder. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 94, and we are recording on Tuesday, January 26th. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Nezra Javed, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Nezra. How are you? Hi, Katie. I'm good. I am feeling hopeful and positive after a very long time, (laughs) but it has already been a busy week, so a little bit tired as well, but good overall. What about you? Well, um, I know you live on the West Coast. I don't know what the weather's like out your way, but in the Chicago area, we just got a bunch of snow dumped on us last night. So I haven't had to go anywhere today, so that's good. But I woke up this morning to like, oh, I don't know, six or seven inches of snow outside from overnight. I used to be a winter person. I'm not anymore. And every year that passes, I ask myself why I continue to live in the Chicago area, (laughs) because I hate snow so much. So I've just kind of been huddled up in in my apartment. It's cold. It's white outside. And I know at some point I'm going to have to scrape it all off of my car. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's the same over here. Uh, It's not snowing, but it's like cold, sleety rain. And uh, it's just gloomy. And I used to be a fan of the snow. But I think the first time that you have to shovel it off your car, Mm -hmm. you get over it like instantly so yeah I'm fine I'm fine without the cold (laughs) yeah I that's what I I pinpointed to the yeah the first time I had to start driving like really driving in the snow because I didn't I didn't drive while I was in college I just had to walk from one end of campus to the other in the snow but yeah once once I got my own apartment and had to give up the use of a garage and I realized just how much of a pain in the butt it is to scrape my car off every morning when it has either snowed six inches or it snowed a little bit and then iced over and you gotta scrape it off your windshield and then I end up running 10 or 15 minutes late for work that was when I really started to appreciate summer (laughs) (laughs) yeah I I completely like I can relate to that that's why we we were in East Coast before, and then when we moved to the West Coast, that's our favorite thing about living in West Coast, no having to scrape snow. But like you said, uh, when it, especially when it sleet drains, it sort of freezes over. So that's oh, like even worse because then you're heating your window and you have no idea how to get it off. Oh. But yeah, it's, it's cold and gloomy here as well. <laughs> 
But the days are getting longer. Yes. I did point out to my coworkers because we were we all were just waiting for December 21st or December 22nd because that was the day that the days would officially start getting longer and now I'm pointing out to them I'm like guys it's still slightly light at five o'clock this is amazing <laughs> so you, yeah. you gotta find the little things to keep you going during the winter exactly yep I agree but yeah, winter, one star out of five, would not recommend, <laughs> no. especially if you live in Chicago. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> um, all right. Well, before we jump in, do you want to give us our first sponsor? This podcast is sponsored in part by Prodigal Son by Greg Hurwitz. Listen to Prodigal Son, the next best-selling Orphan X audiobook from Greg Hurwitz, narrated by Scott Brick. As a boy, Ivan Smoke was pulled out of foster care and trained to be a government assassin. He eventually broke with the program and adopted a new mission, helping the most desperate in times of trouble. But in exchange for an unofficial pardon, he must now stop his clandestine activities and live a normal life. But then he gets a call for help from the one person he never expected, his mother. Suddenly, everything he's fought for is on the line. Brick and Hurwitz are a combination proven to provide edge-of-your-seat entertainment. No matter the subject, Scott Brick brings incredible passion to every audiobook he performs. Buy the audiobook wherever audiobooks are sold. All right. So if you are a new listener, welcome. We're delighted to have you. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. We are delighted that you keep tuning in every two weeks to hear us talk about mysteries and thrillers. So if you're new to the show, we talk about mystery and suspense novels and true crime and movie adaptations and just anything that falls under that mysterious suspenseful umbrella. And this is the part of the show where we always put out a call to our listeners to let us know if you have any ideas for upcoming episodes. It helps us plan out episodes ahead of time, and it helps us make sure that we're talking about stuff that you lovely listeners are interested in listening to. So we have designed episodes around so many of your suggestions over the, over the years. So we put out this call at the beginning of the episode, get your thinking caps on and see if there's anything that you would like us to talk about, whether it's a subgenre that you are particularly interested in, or if you're looking for reading recommendations, or just kind of a general topic that you think would be really interesting, or a news item that you heard about that you think would make for good discussion, let us know. So we will have all of our contact information at the end of the episode, but we like to get those creative thinking juices flowing at the beginning. So if you have an idea, you can let us know. And even if you don't have an idea, but just want to say hi, we love that as well. We love hearing from people who listen to the show and it just makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside to hear from everyone. So even if you don't have an idea, Drop us a line. We would love to hear from you. And with that, let's go ahead and jump into this episode um, with our news items. And Nazra, I know that you are particularly excited about this first news item. So I will let you go ahead and kick this off. Yeah, you can't tell but I'm like jumping a little bit just from getting to share this news. So if you are like me and are going through the show You Withdrawals and just can't wait for the third season to get on Netflix fast enough, there's definitely some good news for you. 
Another one of uh, Carolyn Kepnes's books called Providence is being turned into a Peacock original series. And the writers are uh, you, the You shows Sarah Gamble along with screenwriter Neil Reynolds. And the plot for this one sounds even juicier than You itself. So it follows a man named John Bronson who disappeared along with five other classmates when he was 12. And he mysteriously reappears at 22 with no memory of what happened during the 10 years he was missing. So, and there's also a love story aspect in this and a bit of like mystery, what, what really happened to him in, 10, in the 10 years he was missing. And I'm ready for it. So when the show, you came, the first season came out, I was obsessed with that show. I remember watching it, I think in a matter of day, like two days. <laughs> And then when the second season came out, I was actually traveling, but I made sure that I had those episodes downloaded on my Netflix and I was watching them in the plane while my toddler was sleeping next to me. I was that obsessed and I cannot wait for the the third season. And I'm so, so excited for this one as well. All right. Well, I've also got some exciting adaptation news and this is about Stephen Mac Jones's August Snow series, which I have not read the books yet. I know a couple of years ago, I think Rincey read the first one or the first two in the series, something like that. I know she enjoyed them. But what's really exciting is that for the upcoming series adaptation of the August Snow series, they've gotten Keegan-Michael Key to star as August Snow. And if that name sounds familiar, but you can't put your finger <laughs> on it, he is half of Key and Peel. Jordan Peele being the other half. So I am obsessed with Key and Peele. And I just think the two of them are so funny. And they are such good actors. They're such good comedians. And they're so smart. And I just love everything that they do. So when I found out that Keegan-Michael Key was going to be attached to this series, I immediately went, okay, I'm going to have to watch this series and I'm going to have to read the books. So if you are unfamiliar with the series, August Snow is a former detective. He's biracial who grew up in Mexican town in Detroit. And he ends up becoming a private investigator. He kind of acts, as they describe it in the article, as a Robin Hood from the hood, where he gets a group of talented misfits to help him solve cases and, you know, trying to give back to the the desperate people in his community. And that was one of the things I remembered Rincey talking about with this book, was that there was a really strong sense of community that was just something really cool that you don't always see in a mystery series. So the premise sounds really intriguing. I think maybe I do have a copy of the first book. I don't know. I'll have to check my bookshelves. Um, but at any rate, if that sounds super interesting, or if you are also a huge Keegan-Michael Key fan, you will definitely want to keep your eyes and ears out for more news about this. And as we get updates about this upcoming adaptation, we'll be sure to share them. But I was, yeah, super excited as soon as I, as soon as I saw that. I'm like, it is immediately on my radar. Absolutely. Um, I can't wait for it as well. And I think what would make it even more perfect was if we could see Jordan in, in there as well. But oh well, we'll just have to settle with half of the duo. 
You know, I, th- I I could be wrong. I think the two of them played detectives in a season of Fargo. Oh my goodness. Okay. I mean, they were really they were really side characters and I can't remember if it was the first or the second. You know what? It must have been the first season because we didn't watch all of season 2. So I think I think it's season 1, but yeah, they they play these detective partners that play a side role in there. But yeah, when they came on screen, I just went, "Ah!" <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely have to put that on my radar, like high up there. <laughs> so some more TV adaptation news. This is Us star J- Justin Hartley has teamed with the series director, executive producer Ken Olin to option the rights to Jeffrey Deaver's 2019 thriller novel, The Never Game. And the, ra- the drama will be penned by Michael Cooney and... I'm a big fan of uh, Justin Hartley, and I'm excited that he's going to star in this uh, adaptation. I have not read The Never Game yet, but I have heard about it a lot, and I've often seen people looking for a read alike for that. If you are unaware of The Never Game, uh, it follows Coulter Shaw, who travels the country in his old school RV to help police and private citizens solve crimes and locate missing persons until his latest case changes everything. This time, it gets personal. So Shaw finds himself caught in this cat and mouse game, risking his own life to save the victims. It's just a mix of everything. It's got some good old action that leaps off the page. It has character development. You sort of get a look into Coulter Shaw's past. And it's just a good old road trip novel. So yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for this one. And then I've got our last piece of adaptation news for this episode, I promise. Netflix posted a trailer and additional information for the limited series adaptation of Behind Her Eyes, which is based on the book by Sarah Pinborough. Um, That's going to be coming out February 17th. And the reason why I wanted to mention this for the episode is, well, A, I really loved Behind Her Eyes when I read it. And secondly, this is a very divisive book between a friend of mine and myself because she and I have very, very similar reading tastes most of the time, and we trade books back and forth all the time. But this book, this was like, this is a sticking point between us because I loved this book and I loved the, the huge major twist at the end, and she hated it. And we will still get into good-natured arguments where she will hold it against me. It's like, you recommended this book. I'm like, I thought it would be totally up your alley. And she really hated the twist and I loved it. So um, I guess we've got to keep, she and I just need to keep our, continue keeping our friendship interesting. So we keep (laughs) arguing about this book. Like I said, I personally loved it. Now I will keep my fingers crossed that the series still holds true to the book. It's very, it's a dark psychological suspense thriller. It's very much a domestic type of love triangle thriller where a single mother begins an affair with her boss, who is a psychiatrist, while also secretly befriending his wife because she's like super mysterious. And this woman is like, what's going on with her? She's like such an enigmatic person. So she is having an affair with her boss and befriending his wife. And you know nothing good can come of that. So yeah, this this is such like... A just such such a gossipy dark 
thriller, and I just loved it. So if you've read the book, and if you have thoughts about the about the ending, without giving away spoilers, um, if you post about it on social media, let me know. I'm just curious where other people stand. But, um, but yeah, so Netflix has more information about that. And I'm really hoping that they do it justice, because sometimes these adaptations of series will go really, really well, like with Sharp Objects. The adaptation for that was amazing. And other times it goes the way of when they adapted Tana French's first two novels into the Dublin murders at the end of 2019 into 2020. And they did so much injustice to the second book in particular that it just made me want to tear my hair out. So hopefully Netflix does well with this. But at any rate, we'll be able to find out soon. Um, Like I said, it's out on February 17th. For all we know, you and I are going to be discussing this next episode and just (laughs) either agreeing frantically or (laughs) disagreeing (laughs) frantically. So stay tuned for that. (laughs) All right. So our next news item is um, Sisters in Crime unveil a new award for emerging LGBTQA crime writers. If you are unaware of Sisters in Crime, they are an amazing organization who which was found which were founded in 1986. To promote the ongoing advancement, recognition, and development of women crime writers, um, they have done some amazing work, and this is sort of the next amazing initiative that they've taken upon. So they have created a Pride Award, and the Pride Award is an annual grant of two thousand dollars for an emerging writer in the LGBTQA community. It sounds pretty amazing, and I'm excited to see what sort of writing that will flourish under um, their guidance and leadership. Yeah, and especially because I know that, well, I mean, we talked about it on the show before, but this also is the case in any genre of writing. We just don't have enough authors who are part of the LGBTQ community that are being published right now. So any opportunity to get more authors and more viewpoints out there is awesome. So yeah, I'm really excited to see what, what other, or what authors get the spotlight from this award. So awesome, awesome news from Sisters of Crime. All right. And then before we jump into the main part of the episode, I have the second sponsor for our episode. And that is St. Martin's Press, which is the publisher for the new buzzy book that has just come out, The Woman Upstairs by Rachel Hawkins. This book, like I said, is just getting all kinds of buzz from the publishing industry, from readers, from authors. It's got wit and feminist sensibilities. And The Wife Upstairs really flips the script on this timeless tale of forbidden romance, ill-advised attraction, and a wife who just won't stay buried. And in this vivid reimagining of one of literature's most twisted love triangles, which Mrs. Rochester will get her happy ending. So... Megan Miranda, who is a best-selling psychological suspense author, really loved this book. It's just darkly funny. It's suspenseful. It's just it's just such a page turner. It was named um, and a pick for the Indie Next list, and it was the number one pick for library reads. If you happen to follow either one of those lists, 
Those are really great resources for finding your next read, by the way. But it, this is just kind of universal. Everyone is talking about this book. So again, that is The Woman Upstairs by Rachel Hawkins and published by St. Martin's Press. And we thank them very much for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so for our main discussion, we had a listener email us and ask us about mystery novels that use letters and journal entries as part of the story. So that kind of epistolary format and asked if we could give some recommendations, which we which we're going to, but we also decided to kind of expand that and just talk about mystery novels that are told in a unique format, or there's something very, very different about the way that they tell their story, because there are so many ways that this can go. And Nazra, you found a really interesting article from Crime Reads about their view on epistolary novels. Tell us about that, because I, I th- just think this is so fascinating. Yeah, so what that article basically speaks about is what makes epistolary novels so fascinating to readers in general. So my love affair with epistolary novels or that format of storytelling started with Bram Stoker's Dracula. And when at that time, when I sort of read that book, I couldn't pin down exactly why I was so obsessed with that book. But the way that the story is told plays a large role in it, just because I think and that's what this article talks about as well. Uh, it, the characters, they immerse you in the story itself. So it's no longer a third person narrating a story or you observing from a distance. So you are there in it, in the center of action. And I think that's why readers keep returning to this format of storytelling time and time again. But at the same time, it's also a bit of a it's not as clear cut as it seems. So if it seems if you're at the center of the story, you'd have the complete picture, but it's not that as well because you only get to see the perspective of the person who you're reading about. So it still remains a mystery, even if when you're at the center of action. So it's sort of captures the bigger picture, how you never really know what's going on in anyone else's head beside your own. I would definitely recommend giving this article a read. It's fascinating and it's sort of put into perspective why I am such a fan of this format of storytelling, not just epistolary in general, but in general, how a unique format adds a different layer of enjoyment to any story. Yeah, I totally agree. And when I was thinking about it, because that's a style of writing I've also been very drawn to or like. I kind of look at whether it's an epistolary novel or some kind of format where you get like these bits and pieces of other objects or forms of writing or whatever it is. It almost feels like a patchwork quilt. And it kind of becomes your job as the reader to start putting clues together. Even if the book isn't a traditional mystery, you have to take in the information from all of these different sources and kind of like synthesize it in your own head to create the story. So it makes reading more of an active process, I think. And it's, I really enjoy it just because I think it's a really good way of like that phrase that if you've ever taken a creative writing class, you'll hear show, don't tell. And I think this is a really effective way of doing that where you can give the reader 
crucial pieces of information about the story, but you're not just sitting there and just, you know, giving them that information, just just stating it. You're letting them do the work. You're letting them kind of participate in the story. And I think, yeah, actually, in the Crime Reads article, it also talked about the fact that mystery novels are so well set up for this type of storytelling because there are so many other documents that are just naturally come with the the overall framework of a mystery story, whether that's police files or witness statements, legal documents, letters, other clues that someone might be looking for. And it just lends itself so well to this type of storytelling. And the first book that we're going to talk about, Nezra and I actually independently ended up choosing this book. And then we were like, oh, I didn't realize we both chose this book. So we decided we were going to talk about it together. And that is Night Film by Marisha Pessel, which I think I've mentioned on the show maybe once or twice before. But this book is so cool. It is, it's a dark mystery novel where the um the main mystery at its center is that there's this young woman named Ashley Cordova and she's found dead in Lower Manhattan and her death is ruled in apparent suicide but there's a journalist who thinks that there might be more going on because she is the daughter of a very well-known horror director Stanislav Cordova and he hasn't been seen in public for more than 30 years. He's just this really enigmatic type of director. Like, think, I, like, uh, David Lynch on steroids, kind of. Um, just this really weird, subversive person. And Scott McGrath has always felt like there's something very off and something very wrong about this guy. And so when, when Ashley Cordova is found dead, uh, McGrath tries to figure out what actually happened. And the investigation just takes him into this seedy underworld. And there's, there's possible witchcraft, possible bargains with the devil. It's just so dark. But throughout the book, the author includes like, like screenshots from websites and news articles that are just like right in the book, almost like a scrapbook. And it adds such a level of realism to this very dark story that it it is such a trip to read this book. Like I had to keep reminding myself, like I've read this book several times and I had to keep reminding myself that this is not a true crime book. This is not something that actually happened. I can't go online and find out what the new developments are in this book. But it really feels that way. And I have never experienced anything like this in anything else that I've read since then. And I don't know what your thoughts were, Nazra, but I imagine since you picked the book that you that you also had a lot of really awesome feelings about this book. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, what stands out in my mind about this book is uh, particularly like the opening of the book. It's just so authentic, but so eerie and this creepy. Uh, it's sort of crawls under your skin and you just don't you sort you don't know how to move on with your life until you're done reading the whole book. And it's a big book too. So uh, that's quite a dilemma you face, but as soon as you start reading this book. But yeah, like you said, while what I found particularly fascinating was um, the screenshots, the pictures, it was just like 
an explosion for my visual senses as well. So it wasn't just something that I was reading and racing through. It was um, it was a nice break almost from the intense action. So yeah, it was. This is an absolutely amazing example of how you can tell a story through different mediums. Words in a certain format is just not the only way to tell a story and. Like you mentioned, I I actually did go down a rabbit hole where I was <laughs> trying to find any truth in the story, at the, where I was uh, hoping to uh, jump into a conspiracy where this might possibly be real. But I have had no such luck till now. But uh, until then, this book shall suffice. But it's definitely, <laughs> it's an amazing book, especially if you're when you're maybe in a reading slump and you want a good old action detective story but uh, also want something that breaks the usual monotony of the genre so it's it, it definitely it's one of my favorites and I would definitely recommend it to anyone who is a fan of epistolary or different forms of storytelling yeah and I would also recommend it to anyone who is either a fan of horror, or if yeah. you think you want to dip your toes into horror, but you aren't ready to like fully jump into the deep end, because the director in the book is a horror director, they the descriptions of his movies, which are supposed to be like life changing almost in like, like people who watch these movies are so I don't think the word can be traumatized because he's developed like this cult following, but the the movies that he makes are so transformative and so unsettling that I was like, when I was reading this, I was like, I want to see these movies. I want to know what's going on. And then I, and I couldn't. And it was just like the most maddening feeling that I'm like, I want to know what's going on. I want to know everything and you can't. But yeah, it is just such a mind blowing book. Truly, truly unique. So again, that's Night Film by Marisha Pessel, and it's bonkers, and it's amazing. <laughs> so uh, my next pick is American Spy by Lauren Wilkinson. This is a story uh, told in the form of flashbacks, and it's a mother writing letter or journal entries for her twin sons. And it's it's a spy thriller, you can say, but it's such a unique take on spy thriller it it sort of gravitates away from the action and goes more into the character development of what makes our character or what sort of drives the character's story so just a little bit about the story um after not playing the game or not playing by the rules at the cia our main character is given a proposition to uh, go to the African country of Burkina Faso and use all her wiles to win over the handsome and charismatic leader Thomas Sankara, a man who um, who actually was a real figure in history. So uh, she narrates her journey and how what happens as soon as she reaches there and how she finds her loyalties shifting or understanding this situation a bit more in context and it's such a great it's it's a great story but the way the character development is uh, blended with the story itself and 
it speaks on an emotional level to the reader, which is something you don't get to see a lot in this genre. And uh, just as a mom, just as a mom, I, I, I could feel the emotion that the narrator was feeling when she was writing those entries. And I thought it was absolutely fantastic. So that's American Spy by Lauren Wilkinson. And the audiobook by Bonnie Turpin is a great way of listening to the story if that's your preferred format. Yeah, I agree with everything that you said, because I I don't usually like spy novels. It's just not my cup of tea. But this was such a thoughtful type of spy novel that, like you said, it's not focused on the action, but the characters and the driving emotions and motivations. And it's it's so, so good. My next pick is... Whisper Network by Chandler Baker, which came out, I want to say, sometime last year. And, oh, actually in 2019. So technically about, about a year and a half ago. And this book, when this came out, this kind of got branded as a, what what they called a Me Too thriller. So it takes place in the corporate world. And it follows... Four characters, Sloane, Artie, Grace, and Rosalita, who have all worked at this company, TrueViv, um, that does, that makes sports equipment and does all kinds of endorsements with athletes and stuff like that. And at the beginning of the book, their CEO dies suddenly of a heart attack. Um, nothing suspicious there. That's not the suspicious part. And they find out that their current boss, Amos, is likely to step into the CEO role. But he is one of those people that has always been surrounded by, quote unquote, whispers about how he treats women. So I I will, um, before I go into more detail about the book, obviously, the Me Too movement um, is entirely about sexual harassment, mistreatment of women, discrimination um, in the workplace, in social life, whatever. This is this can be a very triggering topic. So just, you know, know that going in. It's not a turnoff trigger for me, but I will say this that this book has made er, has made me very angry while reading it. Not be the book is well written, but it, it is an anger inducing book. So the these four women are watching as he's about to probably accept this promotion, and they each decide that, okay, we're not going to let this go. So the the Whisper Network is, it refers to, you know, how female employees have, have kind of, you know, well, in this book and in real life, have had to look out for each other by you know, passing along rumors or experiences that they've had that they can't really talk about loudly and publicly. They can't make claims about it because it could potentially ruin their careers. It could bring about legal troubles, but they know they need to try and keep each other safe. So they, you know, whisper to each other about the reputations of some of their colleagues. There's a an anonymous spreadsheet that goes around like, put your put the name down of any any guy's that you've worked with who have had or who have engaged in questionable conduct, that kind of a thing. And the reason why I picked this book um, to talk to talk about for this discussion is it does include um, like emails and text messages, but also throughout the book, it has documents from legal proceedings, 
like legal depositions, stuff like that. And what I really like about mystery and suspense novels that use legal documents is that it automatically just creates this this sense of urgency, of seriousness. So like you're going through the through the story and then along the way you're 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 getting like these flash forwards to you're like, okay, I don't know what happened. But something happened here where there are legal investigations going on. So basically, stuff's about to get real. <laughs> and I it just it creates yeah, it creates the sense of suspense without giving too much away. Like you know that like, okay, someone's gonna end up murdered. You don't know who yet. Or you don't know how things play out to get to that point. So it's a really interesting take or it's an interesting spin from the usual linear narrative where you just you know the story you just kind of tell the the story as it unfolds in chronological order and this really plays with that to create this this sense of urgency it keeps you turning the pages it gives you key pieces of information and it just po- it primes you to be like be on alert and to be on the lookout for things to start happening i think this book does that very well I will say, I mean, the the Me Too movement is very complex. There are lots of different aspects to it. I will say that this book is very centered on the white-collar, white woman's perspective of the Me Too movement, which is absolutely is absolutely valid, but just know that this is only giving one part of that story. One of the characters is Hispanic, and so you do get another side to how women interact with men and the different power dynamics that go on. But the main part of the story is very much focused on this upper middle class group of white suburban women and how they're interacting in the workforce. So just know that going in, this is this is not a, you know, a definitive, you know, be all and end all novel of that is representative of the entire Me Too movement, but it doesn't have to be. But if that's not something you're looking for, just you can know that going in. But again, that is Whisper Network by Chandler Baker. And yeah, it's it's just, it's really, really interesting and infuriating. So obviously we have just scratched the surface of these stories that are told in a unique format. So if you have any suggestions for other books that you think fit that mold or other books that really take an interesting spin on storytelling, please let us know because as always, we're all we're always looking for new books to read and recommend and talk about. And as we get more people and more voices involved in publishing in the mystery world, we're going to see more of these unique takes on storytelling. And I just think it makes reading so much more interesting. Absolutely. So uh, this is the part of our show where we talk about any upcoming new releases this week or the next week that we're super excited about. And I uh, there's one in particular that I'm super excited about that ties in with our whole discussion of telling stories through different formats. It follows Sarah, who is a huge True Crime podcast fan. And when one of her favorite podcast hosts named Rachel goes missing she decides to plunge headfirst into the wild backcountry of northern California and find out what happened to Rachel and she believes she can accomplish this because 
she has faith that Rachel already had an idea that she might be disappearing soon. And she had left clues for her listeners in her podcast. So we uh, walked through some of that process with her about where she listens to all the podcast episodes and tries to figure out where Rachel could potentially be. Her investigation takes her to an isolated ranch outside Rachel's small hometown where Sarah finds out that Rachel is not the first one to have disappeared. So it's just, it sounds super uh, interesting and it sounds like one of my favorite books conviction by denise mina sort of just uh using podcasts to and forming an association with a person you may never have met but you have heard who you've welcomed into your life itself and just finding your way to help them and i'm super excited for this one so it's if i disappear by elisa jane brazier out from Berkeley Books today. All right. And then my pick for this episode comes out next week on February 2nd. And this is called Finlay Donovan is Killing It by L. Cosimano. And <laughs> this sounds like, like we all know the amateur detective subgenre. This might be creating a new subgenre in terms of the amateur contract killer. So Finlay Donovan is a very stressed out single mother of two. She's a struggling novelist. Her life is just right now it's in chaos. She's promised a new or she promised her agent that she would have a new book finished. It isn't it isn't written yet. Her ex-husband fired the nanny without telling her. And on the morning that the story starts, she had to send her four-year-old to preschool with hair duct taped to her head after an incident with the scissors, which I don't have children, but I still felt this very deeply. <laughs> and when Finlay is overheard discussing the plot of her new suspense novel with her agent, she is mistaken for a contract killer and inadvertently accepts an offer to dispose of someone's problem husband in order to make ends meet. Because quite frankly, who hasn't been in that situation? <laughs> and soon Finley discovers that crime in real life is a lot more difficult than its fictional counterpart as she becomes entangled in a very real-life murder investigation. So this book just sounds hilarious because the plot premise is just so ridiculous that you can't help but just lean into it and just go with it we're like yeah of course this suburban mother is going to end up as a contract killer without realizing it because life honestly so this book has been on a lot of the like books you should be you should put on your radar for this year upcoming mystery novels you should be excited about so even though my own reading preferences tend towards as i've said the 3d's dark demented and disturbing <laughs> this one just sounds hilarious so again that is finley donovan is killing it by el casamano and that comes out next week on february 2nd and then real quickly, we do also have an honorary mention for um, Jane Harper's next novel, which is a standalone. It's called The Survivors. That also comes out on February 2nd. We don't really need to go into too much detail because it's Jane Harper and she's amazing and we should all read everything that she puts out. Um, but if you weren't aware that her new book was coming out very, very soon, now you know. <laughs> yeah, I think Jane Harper is 
another if you are a fan of the crime thriller genre she's uh almost like a household name just along with tana french so yeah definitely jane harper read everything there you go All right, so this is the, as we wrap up the show, this is where we talk about what we have finished reading recently, what we're starting. Unfortunately, in the show notes, I just have a couple of question marks because, (laughs) yeah, you know, life gets in the way. And (laughs) it's been kind of hard to, you know, to read a bunch of or to finish a bunch of stuff. I'm in the middle of a few different novels, but I haven't really finished anything and I haven't really started anything new. So, Ezra, why don't don't you jump in? (laughs) Yeah, uh, I'm in the same boat where I have picked up multiple novels and uh, abandoned all of them. So uh, <laughs> I I have started an audiobook, which which is very promising so far. Um, it's called Fortune Favors the Dead by Stephen Sportswood. And it's narrated by Kirsten Potter. And uh, this is like, it's a historical mystery set in 1940s New York. And it features two female detectives. Um, who are running a successful detective agency and just their shenanigans about how they came about working together and the daily obstacles they face as women in 1940s. And then it sort of uh, accumulates to a point where they're met with one of their hardest cases where the possible murderer might be a vengeful spirit. So... Like I said, sounds super promising. And the audiobook narration is um, absolutely spot on. So here's hoping that uh, I will have finished this by our next episode. (laughs) (laughs) Hoping that something sticks. And that's the show. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you to our wonderful sound editor, Jen Zink, for always making us sound terrific. For show notes, head over to bookriot.com slash listen. If you enjoyed this podcast, definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that others can discover our podcast. If you want to send us an email with feedback or show suggestions, you can find us at redordead at bookriot.com. Otherwise, you can find us on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Javed Nasra, that's J-A-V-E-D-N-U-S-R-A-H. And you can find me on Twitter at KT underscore Library Lady. And we will talk to you guys next time. Bye.